I'm sacred too. I'm sacred too. And black women are divine. Blackness is sacred. Femininity is sacred. Womanhood is sacred. I'm sacred, you know, because these are such powerful messages. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. How you see your God is the foundation for how you see yourself. And my guest today says, if God is a black woman, then she will love you and support you in the ways that only black women do. It's the return of Dr. Christina Cleveland to Studio Noise. I love, love, love talking to Christina. I think her work is phenomenal. And she's back with her new book, God is a Black Woman. Available right now in physical and digital and audiobooks. I've been enjoying the audiobooks on my commute downtown. We talk about her research and journey with the Black Madonna, her battles with the image of God, and how embracing her own sacredness has changed and healed her in so many ways. Of course, we talk about the image of God in art and how her books and her practice put her in the contemporary Black art conversation. Yes, it does. She's right there with us. It's the noise bringing you the very best in black art from all angles. And this is not a political podcast, but I want to say war is tragedy. It's unnecessary and traumatic. It's sad. It's just just sad that you can have one life and there are people out there that kind of amass all this wealth and power and use it to spread pain and trauma. Uh, it's going. It's just a mess what we're going through right now. I hate it for the Ukraine people. I hate it for Russians. I hate it for the world, uh, for all the people that are just out there wanting to live their lives and having to go through this mess. Uh, I hate it for them just like I hate it for Armand Arbery, right? I hate it for all people that have suffered injustice. I don't understand what's happening. And the sad part is we may never know. We may never actually know why all this stuff is happening. Like we'll have our ideas, but we won't have proof. It'll be in a history book like 30 years from now or something. Uh, laying out all this evidence that nobody's ever going to read. And so it, I just think it's a tragedy. I think we need to pray for all those people involved, uh, pay for people that have to go through it and witness it. You know, this is um, some extreme stuff. It's just, it's just a sad situation. So I think that's why I think this is a great episode for us to listen to when we're talking about um, God and something higher than us. Uh, and to think about this and kind of these scary times that we in right now so i'm hoping this podcast bring y'all just a little bit of joy into this uh <laughs> crazy crazy year already that we're having um out here in these streets right so go ahead and follow us on ig do your noise podcast rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts we haven't got any new ratings or anything lately yo why don't y'all throw one up for your boy I sure do appreciate it. It helps promote the show and let everybody know about the noise. If you really like this art talk, if you really like this black art talk, go ahead and join our Patreon, yo. Uh, give us some support. I so do appreciate it. Keep the show going. So right now, why don't you just go tell two friends? I mean, post it in your stories. I mean, just tag anybody you know that's an art lover that's thinking about this kind of stuff and let them know. It's Dr. Christina Cleveland back home. <laughs> She's back home. It's the noise, baby. Yo, 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 is this, is this thing on? Uh, this is your boy, Dr. Fahamu Paku, live from Atlantis. You know how we do. And I'm tuned in, locked in to Studio Noise. All right, it's your boy, Jay Barber, back with more Studio Noise, the voice of Black Art. I'm bringing back one of my most favoritest guests of all time, social sci psychologist, <laughs> public theologian, author, and activist, Dr. Christina Cleveland, back on the podcast. Finally, after all this time, how you doing? <laughs> I'm great. I actually um, did another podcast interview this morning to promote my book, and it was with a, um, 
I won't say her name. It's just a whack white lady. I had to be on her podcast for, you know, my publishing company was like, you know what? This lady has a platform. You need to be on. So, but at the whole time I was like, I just got to get through this interview and then I can talk to Jay Barber. Then I can talk to Jay <laughs> And it'll be a good conversation. Just got to get through this. Yeah, <laughs> I made it. I'm here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> that's what's up, yo. We happy, to, we happy to have you back too. Come on back home, yo. That's where, that's where we belong anyway. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so as you mentioned, yo, you got your new book just came out and i'm always looking for an excuse to get you back on the show so this book was great so god is a black woman uh recently was named uh uh, amazon editors pick for best nonfiction. so you're you're out there people starting to notice your work yo so that's awesome i know it's like it's funny it's like the evilest corporation in the world likes my book They even put a um, a billboard of my book in Times Square last week. Oh, so wow. I'm like, wow, this is very interesting. White male God is literally promoting the Black Madonna. <laughs> they don't even realize what they do right now. They don't even know. I think she's quite cunning. She's she's cunning. Yes, I love it, Joe. Yeah, I love it. And so we we're back with you, and you know, after we talked um, when your first book uh, that I read and enjoyed, I'm gonna tell you why uh, our conversation was one of my favorites. Uh, it's not just that uh, you have a beautiful podcast voice, right? <laughs> and you're absolutely brilliant uh, in what you do. But I think your your book, the Christ Our Black Mother Speaks, was just spiritually for me right where. I needed it to be at the time where I didn't notice. So like it, it was just such a revelation being able to discuss these kind of topics, this kind of thing with you and you do it so well. So I, I'm so, so super glad to have you back. Um, yeah. So uh, check on your Instagram. You were in France for like five weeks doing this book. I'm surprised that they let you back in France from the caper that you described in the very first part oh. of your book. <laughs> Which is- <laughs> yeah, I was a fugitive from the yeah, police. Yeah. You know, honestly, yeah. So I just got back from France about two weeks ago. Um, and because I was there um, most recently for three months from November to the end of January. Um, and I did go back and visit some of the Black Madonnas that are in my book. Um, but I did not go back to Moriac, that town that I'm a fugitive. Oh, yes. Yes. You got to stay <laughs> far away. I'm not sure what would happen. <laughs> I, honestly, I'm not sure what, what would happen. Like, I'm, I'm convinced that... If a cop, if a French popo saw me there, they might remember me. From <laughs> they 20, still looking, yeah. Twenty eighteen, yeah. They got that CC, uh, <laughs> that footage. There. Yeah, oh, oh. yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm kind of most. I mean, these are very sleepy towns, and so I think anyone, anyone who was on duty then would remember me. Yes, the most excitement they had in years. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, for, for people that don't know yeah. what we're talking about, tell them, tell them a little yeah. bit about it. Well, I was in I was in France visiting some ancient Black Madonnas um, because as part of my journey of liberation, I really wanted to encounter face to face a God who looked like me. And so, um, Black the the Black Madonnas has been quite venerated in this one part of France that's very old. Um, and so one day, and this is how my book starts, I was visiting the Black Madonna of Moriac, and she's a fifth century Black Madonna, so she's over 15 years old, 1500 years old, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and um, I, while I was visiting her, I set off the alarms because I, I got too close to her. You're not supposed to touch her, but I was I wanted to touch her, and I felt like, hey, you can't keep me from my Black Madonna. <laughs> right, um, yeah. And so, you know, it's like kind of like that entitlement, you know, just like, wait, she looks like me. I, how can you say I can't touch her? Um, and so then that started a police chase that lasted for most of the day. And I did escape un, unarrested, unharmed. But the police were um, in that whole town. There were like 20 cops looking for me. throughout the day. So <laughs> I was a fugitive. And then really, I was just was able to ponder while I was hiding, while I was hiding out, I was really able to just flashback to all the times in my life that I've been a fugitive as a black woman in this world that's just so full of white patriarchy where everywhere we look we're punished for just taking up space and for being ourselves and for having the audacity to speak our truth and so um, it really felt like a powerful metaphor for my whole life. I think the moment that you describe Mm -hmm. is super uh, powerful to me because like you were there like in front of you this kind of wild dream that you had of of having a God that looks like you of finally mm-hmm. finding it and finding the peace in it. And then you're right there mm-hmm. with it. And it's this mm-hmm. thing in, in front of you that like, yo, no, this thing can't be the mm-hmm. thing that keeps me from yeah. touching uh, what I'm doing. So what was the moment like of actually touching it, being there, seeing it like in the physical yeah. presence of the Madonna? 
You know, honestly, you know, when I first encountered the Black Madonna, um, I only saw her in pictures. You know, this was a couple years before I went on my my pilgrimage to France. Um, so this is probably, you know, right around when Trump got elected is when I started looking for images of God that are not white or male. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized I had to look beyond the Black church for that, which um, was sad to me, you know. Um, but I was I did encounter images of the Black Madonna who, you know, I grew up Protestant, kind of Black church Protestant. And so I you know, didn't know much about Catholicism other than they weren't really Christian, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and the things mm-hmm. that we were taught. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but she's, she's from the, technically from the Catholic tradition, although, you know, the Black Madonna is probably um, in the lineage of Isis, the ancient Egyptian goddess. But I, as soon as I saw a pictures of her, I, my entire body exhaled. And I realized I'd been holding my breath in terror my whole life, this fear that I'm so distant from the divine. Because um, all I saw was images of white Jesus, and I could not relate to that image. And I could not relate to the people who worshipped that image. And I didn't feel safe around that image or, or around those people. And so um, it was an amazing exhale when I first encountered a God who looks like me, and experiences the world like me as a black woman. And so that's why I was even on that pilgrimage to France. I wanted to, to meet as many of these black Madonna statues as I possibly could. Um, and so when I was able, when I was face to face with them, oh my gosh, it's just like, um, it's, I mean, it's like looking at art. Like, you know, if you go to it, if you, if you really dis, if you really give yourself the gift of a luxurious spa, like trip to a museum or a gallery, mm-hmm. And you are mindful and you're present and you're taking your time with each piece that catches your eye. That's what it's like being with them. You want to examine every part of them. What are their toes like? What's their stance like? Are they holding the Christ child? And if so, how are they holding the Christ child? And what does that mean? And um, are they sitting upright in the wisdom position or are they standing or are they stooped over? And what does their posture mean for for me and for the world? And what is their clothing like? And some of them are just covered in gold and ornate clothing. Some of them are almost naked. Some of them are pregnant. Some of them are gender nonconforming. Some of them are thin. Some are fat. Some are light skinned. Some are dark. Some have like stereotypical African features. Some don't. I mean, it's just, and so you can just allow your spiritual imagination to run away with them because of the diversity and because of the presence of who they are. And the one thing they all have in common is they're just so powerful. Like you stand before them and you're just like invited into their story. And, you know, in my book, I say, you know, every, every black Madonna is kind of like a Marvel superhero. They all have their Mm, own origin story. And so you can like just reading about each one and then also standing before them, you kind of get invited into their story and what they mean for the world. And so like I've nicknamed each of them. So I have like she whose thick thighs save lives and she who cherishes our hot mess and like our lady of the side eye, you know, and just all these names that resonate with me as a black woman and kind of help me draw closer to her story and how she's offering life to me in my, in my black female body on this earth that often feels lifeless. Yeah. I, the book starts off with a, with one quote. Uh, if the concept of God has any validity or any use, it can only be to make us larger, freer and more loving. I think that's a, a great way to start it off and and how you should be considering what your image of God is and and having yeah. a God that looks like you fits into that mold much better than kind of this other vengeful, you know, First Testament kind of thing. Uh, yeah. where white male God is, you know, going to punish you if you don't, you know, uh, Uh, perform at the highest acts of purity you know what I mean Mm -hmm. yeah and what's shocking to me and and breaks my heart is how much black black church folks and the black church is as a tradition and black families have really adopted that very white patriarchal view of spirituality you know like it's all about conformity it's all about sticking to the rules um, it's all about purity as defined by this outside source you know like you don't have inner spiritual authority it's always the outside spiritual authority that you have to conform to and um and so yeah it's been very powerful for me to find myself in the divine call myself sacred too as a result of that and then see how that helps me to see the sacredness in others and be a lot less interested in judging and deciding for myself if they're sacred it's like well if i'm if i'm inherently sacred then they have to be inherently sacred too and they don't have to even conform to my ideals of what it means to be pure. Um, so I think 
the more we find this loving and freeing God, as like James Baldwin kind of exhorts us to do in that quote at the beginning of my book, the more we can actually allow that in others, you know, like we can, we can allow that love to seep over into how we see others mm-hmm. and be a lot less interested in policing, <laughs> you know, um, policing yeah. each other, which, which happens so much in black community. You're not black enough. You're too light skin. You're too dark skin. You know what I mean? Just yeah. all of the ways in which we participate in this white part, white patriarchal way of dividing, um, and competing. You mentioned, and, you mentioned before yeah. in the book that you were scared to see yourself as sacred like explain oh, totally. like where that came from and how you kind of dealt with it yeah yeah you know i think i think white male god just really did a number on me um i grew up in a black family and i'd say half my half my spiritual life was spent in black churches and half my spiritual life was spent in white evangelical churches and so on both sides i was very much exposed to a god who felt very distant from me um, felt it uh, was kind of like um, uh, almost like a big brother, like looking in on my life, but only, but not to like care or be imminent, but to like kind of make sh- keep tabs, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and keep a checklist of all the things I was doing right and doing wrong. And that God really scared me, but it sort of scared me straight in the sense that I wanted to make sure I was going to heaven. I wanted to make sure I was being a good little, you know, preacher's preacher's kid, which is what I was. Um, and so I lived in a lot of fear and the, I, that what it did is it gaslit me. Like it, it basically taught me that anything, any impulse idea or desire that I have that deviates from what I had been taught is automatically untrustworthy and even evil. It's, it's disobedience. And my mom taught us when we were kids, disobedience is a form of witchcraft. Mm. And so just extremely strong language around being curious about images of God that deviate from what I had been taught. So when I started encountering at first feminist theology, which wasn't specifically black, although I did read some of the early black feminist theologians like the Jacqueline Grants and whatnot and the Kelly Brown Douglases. But for, you know, in general, it was just just white feminism, you know, I just remember thinking, oh, I guess the Trinity doesn't have to be exclusively male, but then almost like whipping myself back into shape. Wait, wait a minute, Christina, that's not what you've been taught. Right. What you faithfulness means believing what you've been taught, you know? Um, and so I think that's why I really struggled to see myself as sacred because I had never been taught that. And so it's very strange because on the one hand, I was an, I was an academic, I'm a scientist, you know, and so I was asking all sorts of questions in my occupational life, but in my spiritual life, I didn't feel free to ask those questions. So there was quite a disconnect, a disembodiment, you know, heart from head severed um, because I was not able to apply the same processes, this sort of curiosities to my spiritual life that I was easily able to apply in my academic life. Um, yeah. And so when I finally, I remember reading Kelly Brown Douglas, you know, she said, you know, Christ is a black woman whenever black women are out there, like setting people free. And that was like, I wanted to believe it, but I also felt like that's the slippery slope that they tell me about, Mm. (laughs) you know, if I start believing that, that Christ can just be any gender, then what's next, you know? (laughs) Um, and am I going to lose my salvation, which, you know, growing up in a, in a quite, rigid spiritual community and then a quite rigid spiritual home those were like real you know i had to connect it enough with the abundance of the divine to trust that i could move out of those spaces into something new so i was stuck there for a really long time unhappy but stuck you know it makes me yeah. think about um it makes me think about like harriet tubman and our ancestors and it's like gosh there had to have been some sort of um what, what, what was the period of what was the time period like between waking up to the reality that you're on a plantation and you don't deserve it and actually getting off the plantation, right? Like there's, there's a, that doesn't happen at the same time, right? So I imagine Harriet Tubman started having an awakening. I was like, wait a second, there's gotta be something better for me than this. I'm too sacred for this. Yeah. But then how many months or years did it take for her to actually get to the point where she could leave, where she had the audacity to leave? And so I think a lot about that period of time where you rel- you realize something's wrong, but you also don't yet have the tools or the gumption or the hope to actually make a change. And I was in that space for a really long time. Reading the Kelly Brown Douglases 
Christ is a black woman, but and even kind of believing it, but not really being able to act right. Act in yeah. that. You're yeah. not not ready to take that step towards mm-hmm. that kind of acceptance and, and of these new directions. Yeah. Oh and yeah, the cost, too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's mm-hmm. a great that's a great that's a great um point. Cause tell me about the amount of vitriol that's attached to <laughs> liberating yourself from these kind of ways of thinking. Like, why is it so yeah. important that God mm. be defined in a certain way for everybody, no matter who you are, uh, to the point that, mm. you know, you can't, you can't think of, <laughs> right. You can't think of God. Like, you know, that's what everybody, they'll jump on your back and send you all those crazy emails yeah. and death threats when it's like, you totally. can't think of this like this. It has to be like, you know, this male, you know, uh, I, you know, imagine like the Twitter fingers just going crazy on us. Like, you know, you can't, oh, crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't think mm-hmm. of this. Like, yeah. Like, tell me about oh, yeah. that a little bit. I mean, it's it, the fact that people react so strongly to just, just the title of my book, God is a Black Woman, you know, like the fact that people react so strongly to just the title says so much about how we are as a society committed to an incredibly profane view of black women, both Mm. blackness and women, Mm. you know, but together it's like, um, and so, yeah, I mean, when I first started writing about this and of course, you know, this is drummed up again now that the book is out. Um, yeah, people really, really, really hate the idea of God as a black woman. I think it's because people hate the idea of a black God, um, especially in our culture. Blackness is seen as morally inferior, lazy, dirty, um, and um, femininity or femaleness, although they don't always go hand in hand. Um, women are seen as untrustworthy, deceptive, deceitful, you know, and so when you put the two together, um, you're basically trying to unwind and dismantle the Jezebel stereotype, which is, according to Melissa Harris Perry and Shaniqua Walker Barnes, the oldest stereotype for black women in the United States. And so all of a sudden, women who are seen as the most morally inferior, most morally untrustworthy, the least worthy of spiritual leadership, all of a sudden you're saying, no, this is what God looks like. People, there's just years and years and years of buildup around that. And what's fascinating to me, and I can't remember if we talked about this when I was on the show a year and a half ago, but, you know, white men, of course, hate my work in general. (laughs) That's predictable. (laughs) Um, But the second group that I get the most vitriol from is actually black women, churched black women. Yeah, which... It, which I sp- I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and reading the emails that they send me. And um, I think the issue is not that black women hate the idea of God as a black woman. It's just that churched black women have been taught that the, the way to be faithful is to toe the party line. Even if that means being faithful to everyone else, but yourself, mm. actually black female spirituality can often be, Boil, can often boil down to be faithful to everybody but yourself. Right. Right. Be a good servant, care for everybody else, don't ever have needs. <laughs> Just show up, show up, show up for right. everyone else. That's what faithfulness looks like, right? The and mule, so, right? um, the mule, absolutely. The mule, the strong black woman, these, these horrible, um, prisons that we, that we as black women find ourselves in. And so I think it's very destabilizing for me to introduce another idea and it's very destabilizing for me to introduce this idea that you're sacred too and actually faithfulness to yourself is the most important thing because that just makes the entire house of cards religion fall down and i think that the um the quandary that black women find them in is just find themselves in when that little bit of ambiguity is introduced to their like very certain way of thinking about faith um there's just they they haven't been given the tools to deal with it and so it just everything just sort of falls apart. And so I get a lot of hate mail from black women, which is so interesting. It's specifically churched black women. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's wow. Because as you yeah. are like mm-hmm. it is something kind of foundational to how they act and now they have to question mm-hmm. every decision they've made. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that and, maybe, maybe you and, didn't and have I've to. And I've been getting played. And I've exactly. Played, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I know? didn't have to give up everything for totally. this man that I don't love and mm-hmm. have to stay exactly. committed and, you know, mm-hmm. blah, 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 all of so on and so yeah. forth. 
and all humans, you know, we, we all are drawn to certainty. I mean, the, the world's scary. So, you know, uncertainty is, is difficult to manage and we're always overwhelmed by stimuli. So, I mean, as a social psychologist, I can recognize nobody loves ambiguity. <laughs> nobody loves it when you say, hey, reconsider everything you've ever thought, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that's never easy for anyone. But when you've been taught specifically that faith means certainty, then that's just, and then it's, then it's really hard. So I can relate to those black women in the sense that, hey, 15 years ago, if someone had said that to me, God is a black woman, I would have been like, you heretic, get behind me, Satan. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, because it was so foreign to me. And cu spiritual curiosity, spiritual adventure, ad like an adventurous spirit, like that was not, that was not a fruit of the spirit. That and, was not something that was encouraged. Yeah. And, and, Asking uh, questions. Yeah. and these ideas, I know, uh, I, I kind of know the answer to this anyway, but tell me about how these kind of masculine ideas are always attached to God, which doesn't always leave room for feminine None. femininity. Right. No. You know I mean? Oh my gosh. No. I mean, so many, like, I mean, there's so many beautiful things about masculinity, right? I mean, masculinity itself is, is a lovely, lovely way of being in the world. You know, uh, masculinity is usually defined by kind of goal directed behaviors, um, executive leadership. So like making decisions and, um, kind of like, uh, I would say more linear thinking, um, which is useful at times, um, a, a, a con commitment to tradition and to looking at like, you know, what are the patterns that we've been engaged in? And that's all really wonderful. The only problem is that masculinity is supposed to always be in conversation and in inter interrelationship with femininity. Mm -hmm. And so these other ways of being in the world and ways of knowing, like like art, more artistic ways of knowing and nonlinear ways of being with information where we just keep returning to it. And we're not necessarily keeping track of are we moving forward, one step forward, two steps back, but really are we just going in spirals because that's okay too. And um, caregiving and focusing on needs as opposed to focusing on production, right? And so like masculinity really just becomes a caricature of itself when it's not in relationship with femininity. But that's what's happened in the spiritual world and the religious world because all of the major traditions, all the major religious traditions, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, all of them have these like very old, very sacred, very beautiful feminine streams that have been silenced. Mm. And so I don't think any of them are operating the way that they actually were designed to be oper to operate with this like very kind of like non-binary interrelated gender <laughs> conversation and community and partnership. Um, and so what you see, you know, my experience is mostly with Christianity or like a Judeo-Christianity. And you just see this God who just shows up as like 100% transcendent and 100% goal-directed and 100% um, linear and just far from the world and far from the earth and far from the people of the earth. And what's interesting is because that has been in partnership with power since at least the colonial enslavement period, now we see just a very toxic masculine image of God um, that's associated with the white men. In my book, I put for God to love the white men because he was one of them. Mm. You know, like we have on the dollar bill, George Washington's face, and then underneath it, in God we trust. Like we know exactly who this God represents. It's the white slave owning, land owning colonizer. And so our, so much of how we understand who is sacred and who is profane in our in our culture here in the United States can be summed up by the dollar bill. The people who have money and approximate George Washington the most are the sacred ones, mm. Mm. <laughs> and everybody else is profane. Right. You know? And so, um, so we've missed so much by not having other metaphors for the divine that can be in conversation with some of the more masculine ones, and that's why it's been so powerful for me to come and to, to encounter the black Madonna and to like um, reinvigorate her consciousness, not to say that she hasn't been conscious here in the United States, but honestly, like a lot of black folks don't know much about the black Madonna and the people who have done the most work around the black Madonna are problematic white people. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend their books anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so like, I think it's, but I think she's an important image for black people. 
Um, and she's a timeless image because she goes back thousands of years and people all over the world have worshipped her across races and religions. And um, she gives us another picture of what God can look like. And in the book, you say that uh, this is a great quote. Imagination is theology. And so just the idea that you can visualize yourself as your God, uh, something that is related to you automatically breeds a connection. And so when you imagine someone else as the God, uh, you're left in a nebulous space and, and victim to whatever kind of stereotypes are inherent in society that has to do with that. So especially when it comes to race, um, because all these racial stereotypes are out there and believed, it gets attached and, and performed in how we think about God relating to other people, right? Uh, and the reason why, like, for instance, they can vote for Trump no matter what he does and can't stand when a black boy, uh, you know, doesn't wipe his feet on the floor. You know, does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Or I mean, just look at the Super Bowl. I mean, I didn't even watch it, but just how much people are like cheering Eminem for taking a knee during, right, right, yeah. <laughs> during the Super Bowl halftime show. Meanwhile, Kendrick Lamar gets censored like he has a lyric about the police. That's absolutely 100 percent relevant and resonant within black folks. And that gets censored in the exact same show, you know. And so it's just like like it just says so much about how much because of our spiritual imaginations and how impoverished they are in this country, how much white people are automatic, especially white men are automatically seen as like these like divine beings and what they do is legitimate. Meanwhile, the, the, the impulses, perspectives, stories of black people, the very lives of black people don't even matter, you know? And so it's just like, it just says everything about who is sacred and who's profane and who's worth listening to and who's not. And I think that for, at least I can speak for myself as a black woman growing up in this world, I was duly duped. By mm -hmm. that. You know, like these are powerful symbols. These are powerful systems. And many of them work very subtly. And I, you know, I receive these messages in my home, in my school, in my church, and in the broader society. And those all were represented by people of different skin colors. And so I think I, I you know, I, I look back and I have a lot of compassion on little Christina. It's like, of course you believed you were less than. Mm, yeah. Of course you believe that your right. perspective didn't really matter. Of course you questioned, you know, you questioned yourself when you had a different perspective than other people. Because look at what just what happened at the Super Bowl. A white man gets to do whatever he wants. Actually, a white man does the least and gets rewarded for it. A white man who has literally made money off of black culture does the least finally and gets rewarded. Meanwhile, a black man wants to speak the truth and doesn't even get a chance to do that. Right? right. I mean, like that happens all the time. And I think like when I was first starting to get free, I really, really chastised myself. Cause I was like, why did it take you so long to wake up, Christina? Like you were asleep for, you were on the plantation for so long. And I was very hard on myself, which is like, so white patriarchal, right? Like, Blame mm. the victim. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Like, Christina, yeah. how dare you believe everything you've been taught to believe? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's like, I think we, there's a white patriarchal impulse in me that wants to pretend like I never, I didn't have to be on a journey. I was always free. I, 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 I came out of the womb quoting Audre Lord, you know? And so I've just been woke. Like, and yeah. everyone else is, you know? And it's like, that's not true. You know, we, we all are products of our society. And, we start to heal when we wake up to that. And I think that, that what's been, what's been so powerful for me is to offer myself compassion and to just say, yeah, look, Christina, these messages are everywhere yeah, all the time. And so that's part of the reason why I love the, the visceral um, encounter that I had with the black Madonna, because these are statues, right? I mean, this isn't just an, an idea in my head. Like these are real statues that I can go and I can touch and I can talk to, and I can bring miniature versions back home to me. And if you look in my house, I have, I have like little miniature black Madonnas that I found at flea markets and vintage stores and stuff all over my house. I even have a little plastic one in my shower <laughs> because I, I find myself needing to be reminded that I'm sacred too. Mm. I, everywhere I look in my house, I want to see a reminder that I'm sacred too, because as soon as I walk out of my house, I'm going to be reminded of what society thinks of me. 
And so I want to have, I want to strengthen myself by everywhere within my own home. I'm going to be reminded. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I'm sacred too. I'm sacred too. I'm sacred too. And black women are divine. Blackness is sacred. Femininity is sacred. Womanhood is sacred. I'm sacred, you know, because these are such powerful messages and they're so, some of them are so subtle. We don't even notice them. Absolutely, man. Oh, man, just, you said that. Yeah. Yeah, you said yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little Christina mm-hmm. uh, gets the grace of the sacred black feminine. Totally. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it, Joe. And also, little Christina was, uh, little Christina be knowing too, you know? like Oh, yeah. She was a troublemaker there were so now. Many you got to read the book now. Yeah. <laughs> she and she and was getting into like, it. Yeah. There were so many times where I was like, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm not sure about this, you know? Like, I, and I, and I think that part of me got silenced pretty quickly. Because I, I learned, ooh, asking questions, that's mm, not good. Like, yeah. you're going to get in trouble. But there was always, like, a streak within me that was kind of side-eyeing the whole business and just being like, yeah, I don't know. You know, so it's been really beautiful for that part of me to grow and flourish as I've encountered myself in the divine. And for me to realize that was always my inner wisdom speaking up. It was always there, even if I didn't um, feel like it was safe to trust it. This is Jamia Richmond Edwards. I'm a visual artist based in the DMV from the Seven Mile of Detroit, and you are listening to Studio Noise. Yeah. 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 So I love these, um, and I guess we'll, I'm going to switch conversation a little bit to talk about these visual representations because you're talking about. Uh, this region where they have all these sacred black Madonnas and, and manifested mm-hmm. just in this region with those people. Um, but it also is starting to, to reverberate here in the contemporary art world with mm-hmm. uh, a lot of different mm-hmm. artists, including one that mm-hmm. you uh, have on your book cover. Uh, tell yeah, me about how, how Delita got a uh, friend of the show, you know what I'm saying? Fam, like oh, a, a yeah. personal she's, hero of mine, you know, yeah. <laughs> like she's super dope. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you got uh, this work of art on your on your book cover. Yeah, you know, so um, I I started looking, my, my, my literary agent said, okay, so we we need to make sure that we're very extremely hands-on when it comes to the cover because Harper Collins is my publisher and mm-hmm. bless their hearts. That's, that's, those are, that's white people stuff. Right. So I was like, we cannot just leave this up to them. And so my agent said, why don't you make a list of all the things you don't want first so we can make sure they know that. And so, <laughs> so I made a, um, excuse it was it was really interesting that she said start with what you can't handle. So I I said okay I don't want a black woman who's light skinned. I don't want a black woman who looks thin on that who looks like noticeably thin on mm. the image. I don't want a black woman who looks like a mammy or ha- or has any sort of mammy vibe. I don't want a black woman who um uh looks like kind of ethereal. Like other world, like not grounded. Like I want people to have mm. to deal with the fact that God is a black woman in a black woman's body on the earth, right in front of you. Deal with it. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and so I started with that list, and then I just said, let me just go through all my favorite visual artists who have created pieces that could get. My, I mean, my favorite, favorite, favorite visual artist is Vanessa L. German. I just love. Her oh, work. I love but Vanessa. Most, yeah, yeah, she's awesome. But obviously, she does mostly like sculptural installations. So that prop that wasn't like a great fit for a book cover, you know. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, let me just start going through like my top five favorite artists, like just the people that I just I personally just love their work, and also their work has really inspired my spiritual imagination. Um, and so, you know, Delita's on that list of like the top five and I, I came across that image and I just loved how a, she was a dark skinned woman. You just see her face and it looks like a very solid face. Like she, she doesn't look like she's super thin. Like she just looks like, like she's just showing up in the world, um, in her body, just the way her body is, although you can't see the rest of her body. And then, um, I love that she had bantu knots because i just personally like that style i wear bantu knots sometimes and then but what's beautiful about the image is that um it's like uh 
you know, Delita Martin works a lot with like the cosmos and constellations and stuff like that. And so you see, you see that in this image where there's like, there are stars and there are planets and there are suns and, um, surrounding, surrounding this woman's head. And I just thought that's perfect. Like she looks grounded, but she also looks, um, out of this world, otherworldly at the same time. And so I just prayed that Delita would let us use it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was so, so, so happy when, um, when, you know, my publishing company came back and said that they'd been able to work out a deal with her nice. um, because that was my first choice. And um, that that particular image was my first choice. And I, I mean, obviously, Delita Martin's work is just so honoring to the sacredness of black women. It's like her work gives voice to us in such powerful ways. Um, and so it just felt like such a great fit. And um yeah, I'm so honored. I'm so honored that she let us use it because it's extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And the cover is just stunning. You know, oh, yeah. It's, just... it's a beautiful, yo. Beautiful. Y'all did a great mm-hmm. job, like, making that. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. her work is always great. So she she had a piece mm-hmm. uh, she made in 2019 called Trinity that featured yeah, I've uh, seen that one. three figures mm-hmm. and uh, three mm-hmm. women kind of in this, mm-hmm. her veil scapes, you know how she goes abstract mm-hmm. and then patterns and stuff like that. that. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. So what do you think, what do you think about these kind of contemporary things, these reimaginings of what we would consider uh, these biblical kind of scenes or spiritual scenes recreated with oh, like blackness so in the center? Yeah. I think it's so important. I mean, I think um, I, I wouldn't be where I am without um, the art that, I, you know, without the, my spiritual imagination has been so invigorated by black art. Um, the ones that are like more figurative, right. Where it's like, okay, this is obviously, you know, like a re um, a, a re imaging of something, or this is, or also, but also like the more abstract art too, that has just been, has invited me into um, I feel like a big part to me, a big part of spirituality and a big part of mysticism is inhabiting worlds beyond what's like physically in front of you. Right. You know, um, yeah. and I feel like art invites me into that and and particularly to see black artists um, creating images of ourselves or just telling the story of our lives, even if it's not with like figures. Um, and it, it just invites me to do some of that o- some of that storytelling on my own, you know. And one of the things that people who read my book remark on is that even though my book is really grounded in history and social science, my um my interactions with the Black Madonnas are more artistic, right? I'm right, telling yeah. the story of how I encounter them, and that may have some elements of their actual historical record, but a lot of it is my imagination and what I what I think they're transmitting to me. And I think I wouldn't be able to do that without black art teaching me that I can actually look at a piece and interpret it any way I want is that, that resonates in my black female body. And I can actually trust that, you know, and that's, um, that's so different than what I was taught in the Academy and the sciences, that there was kind of one way of knowing and one way of knowledge of acquiring knowledge. And I think black art invites all black people to recognize that however we get to a way of knowing is our sacred way right. and that's valid yeah. and it's needed and it's needed in the world. And also know? that the truth yeah. is not like concrete. Like it's not a, no, a mountain that you have it's, to like it's based on your or go to. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I think what I love about social media, even though I hate social media, like what I love about <laughs> it, um, what I love about it is just how many, you know, just like young black artists you see, sharing their work, you know, and, and letting people, um, and it's great. Like, you know, I don't have to go to the museum of fine arts in Boston to see black art, you know, um, I can just open my Instagram and see black art and see people who would never have an opportunity in that space to tell me about their world Yeah, and, and tell me about what their life is like. Yeah. And, and if yeah. you don't have to fight the algorithms, you actually get to see, like uh people making things that are beyond what would be acceptable in uh, a museum or institution totally totally yeah and i i think unfortunately some of the algorithms are starting to be consistent with those institutions (laughs) but yeah but yeah if you if you i keep a track i keep a list of just some of the artists that i'm just really curious about you know and i'll just go to their page and see oh what have they been up to lately (laughs) oh for sure because they don't always necessarily show up in my in my algorithm but yeah you're right you know i mean 
Yeah, I think the fact that I think Instagram has created space for more Black artists to have their work seen by the public has been a really beautiful thing. And it's certainly nourished my spiritual imagination. Absolutely. Tell me about this list that you got of these, these artists. That you like. <laughs> I like to know, yeah. like you got a few names you could throw out. So we can. Sure. Sure. I mean, yes. I mean, so, um, I have, so, so like Dominic Chambers, I've been following. Oh, I love his work. Yeah. Since he was like a first year student at Yale or yeah. something. So gosh, eight or nine years now. Um, so I love his work. Um, of course, I love Delita Martin. I love Lovette Ballard. Um, I love B. Robert Moore's work, especially his um, uh, the I don't I don't know what to call them, but um, he does like um, like uh, kind of like a brown like me or like a diversifying series, and then he does another one, and I really love the other one in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see who else. I really love. Um, oh, I think Cat is it? Cass, Caslin Avila. Um, I just bought one of her pieces. Um, I'm blanking on her name now. Um, let me actually go into my Instagram and see. <laughs> of course, I love. Um, <laughs> oh, I love Beverly um, the Quilter. Um, she does Beverly Smith, who does. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Beverly White Smith. Oh my gosh, her quilts are like unbelievable. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Um, let me think. Let me look and see some. I know you. You have to be a big fan of Harmonia Rosales, right? Of course. Yeah, I'm telling you, one of the highlights of my life was when she she sent me a picture of her holding my book. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That's also you. Yeah. Her, yeah, of course I love her. Um, I really love um oh gosh, um she uh Lena Iris Victor. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's oh great. my gosh, her work is amazing. Um, yeah, they're just so 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 many, you know, and um I I feel like I wouldn't be where I am, you know. I love Natalie Days, she does really great work. Um I wouldn't be where I am without these images because you know, Layla Fanner, I don't know if you know her. Oh, yeah, I love her. She's South African. I love her work. She's been on podcasts, too. A lot of these people have been on the podcast. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love Layla for you. Yeah, her work is like, I'm saving up for one of her pieces, because I, there are a few people where I'm like, I'm putting my little pennies together. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy. I mean, I love how much black art has become more, um, um, oh, do you know, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but Anj Swana, Anj Swana, um, it's pronounced A-N-G-E. And I want to say she's in West Africa. She does great work. I love oh, I gotta her. I got to look work. her up. Um, Swana. Yeah, okay. Um, I, you know, it's funny because I love how much black artists are starting to do well in the yeah. market, yeah. you know? And also I'm like, well, I can't afford y'all <laughs> anymore. Um, oh, do you know, do I, another one, I don't know how to pronounce her name because I've just messaged with her, but I haven't talk to her but um madu madu paola fadugba no i, I want to say one. she's west african as well she's amazing and then um jacqueline sawari do you know her yeah I know she's her. nigerian yeah. Yeah. i she asked me to contribute to her um her like a uh, book the nice the gallery book and yeah. so i wrote an essay for that and she just sent it to me so it, it um it's it i think the gallery opening was in lagos but um Nice. Yeah. yeah. It was really fun to participate in her work. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, yeah, it's so fun to feel like I'm in collaboration. And I'm amazed at how many Black artists have told me that my writing has inspired them. And sometimes people send me pictures that they, um, pictures of their pieces that they created based on something that I wrote. Wow. And to me, that, that like, I mean, I think if I could live in any decade other than this, like, you know, my current, like, if I could live in any era other than the current one, I would have been like in the twenties because I just love, I love the style. I love the architecture. I love the um, fashion of the twenties and then the Harlem Renaissance just yeah. feels like just hanging out with Max and Hughes. And, exactly. And, right. <laughs> yeah. But when, but when a black visual artist tells me, Hey, like I wrote this piece, this piece was inspired by this thing that you wrote. 
I kind of feel like we're going back to the Harlem Renaissance where the writers and the visual artists and the singers and the musicians and everyone are in conversation yeah. and we're together creating something new because I certainly couldn't have written my book or had the spiritual imagination to do some of the work that I've done on the more theological side of things without black artists. And then to hear black artists tell me, Hey, I created this piece because of this one line that you wrote. That just feels like we're, we're kind of, in, we're a family and we're working together yeah. and we're supporting each other and we're inspiring each other. And that just like makes me so happy. Yeah. I think, I think, I think we're all like collectively experiencing yeah. uh, blackness uh, in all in different mm-hmm. ways, but in the same way, like we, we all feel the oppression. We all feel the, the stereotypes. Mm-hmm. We all feel the weight of uh, race in society. And I think we're all, excuse me, we're all trying to get out of it right? <laughs> because we know this totally. is not this is not who we are this is not what we are this isn't serving us and so we're looking yeah. for ideas and this this is one of the ideas that i think is they're on the zeitgeist you know what i mean everybody's yeah. thinking about like you know mm-hmm. reimagining uh black but so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go back to harmonia right quick and actually yeah. specifically about some of her work because it's it and to me this ties in like directly the way she's mm-hmm. presenting these scenes like with these black women and all these different sizes mm-hmm. and it's like deep, rich skin color mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Tell me your reactions to her work specifically. Well, I think she was, I mean, she was probably one of the first black art, black female artists that I encountered who was, um, was trying to revision history. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, her work is not, it's very literal, right? Like it's very, it's like, it's very obvious what she's trying to do. I think there's subtleties in how she does it, but the goal is very obvious. It's like, she's trying to portray God as a black woman. And I obviously that resonated with me because that's obviously my goal too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I love, but since so much, you know, as, as a womanist and as someone with Christian roots, you know, obviously so much of my work has been about making sense of my historical Christian roots. And I think that's what Harmonia is doing as well with, with art. And so, I mean, when I saw her, like her crucifixion or when I saw her, like, um, you know, the creation of Adam and some of these other ones, the creation of Eve, um, they were, they really struck me because as someone who always associated those stories with whiteness and with being and feeling othered in those spaces, I just felt like I, it was like almost like her art is like a hug. (laughs) <laughs> you know like oh you're you're welcome here like this is your table this is your circle too so that's been really powerful but I also love some of the other work that she's done where she's like like you said like really played with skin color and even our own perceptions of blackness like yeah. there's one I forget the one but it's like um, a woman with a lion um, and yeah. she's super 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 light yeah um almost looks white like her skin looks like white skin even though you can tell she's a black woman just from like looking at her face and i love how um that to me feels like the black madonna in this like very expansive way of like we could all find ourselves in her body every single body can find herself can find themselves in her body like there's it's the opposite of white male god which is all about keeping people out the tiny terrifying circle of acceptability, the old boys club, right? It's like this. And so I love the way that Harmonia is like showing that there are so many different iterations of what it means to be black, even, even across history. And what does that mean for me? What, what that says to me is my blackness is welcome here too. Right. My blackness that looks really different than other blacknesses. And I think like between colorism and just the way that blackness has been constructed, um, it, it feels very white patriarchal in a lot of ways in the, in the sense that it's often about telling people you're not black enough, whatever that looks like. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and her, her, her work feels like um, the opposite of that without explicitly saying it, which is really beautiful. Um, and some of the, yeah, some of the stuff she's been working on these last few months. I, I mean, recently she posted this like, work in progress oh, it's just that, beautiful that stuff it's yeah. just unbelievable yeah. yeah i mean there 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 are thousands of figures in this huge massive yeah um it almost looks like a mural you know and just how big and how how um expansive the scope is and um and again just showing like not just like black scenes but entire black communities and civilizations and um yeah it's it's quite subversive 
Um, it is. Yeah. Then, then yeah. from to go from not having blackness as any part of the narrative or like in the exactly. background holding mm-hmm. teacups as slaves or mm-hmm. into being a central mm-hmm. figures, like all of us being central figures, the way that we all show up in all these different ways. It's really it's really yeah. amazing. She's great. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, I think Jamia Richmond Edwards does really similar I think I like it's it's a little bit less on the nose but I love the way that like so many of her um, figures have like a spiritual motif like whether it's a halo or wings or some sort of like um, aura behind them I think she's doing a lot to sort of ascribe divinity to black women of course Lena Iris Victor is doing that yeah. with just all the gold yeah. leaf and everything and so it's really interesting to see like a whole crop of um, black black female um artists who are kind of re re-envisioning what divinity looks like from a black female perspective yeah i think one very, uh, one artist that you mm-hmm. you may have shared on your instagram a little bit and that i find very striking with her work is uh zanella maholi oh my god oh, she she's her pretty book, her work is pretty amazing her book um the one like the book that she the so i guess she did um before the pandemic um she did like a huge um, installation show and like, so then, then they created a book off of it. It's like a coffee table book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, the hail, the dark, hail, the dark lioness coffee table book. Yeah. And during the pandemic, it was out of print. And so it was selling for like 300 and something dollars. <laughs> um, now it's back to its $80, you know, kind of deal. But um, a friend bought it for me for my 40th birthday. It was nice. like one of the best gifts. Yeah. So yeah. I had, a, I got, I was, I got a copy during the pandemic and um, what she's doing with um, actually, you know, I, her pronouns might be they, them. I'm just going to use they, them just in case. Um, what they're doing is like so incredible because it's all in this, in the hell, the dark lioness. I mean, it's all self-portraits and it's just like even more powerful. Um, well, not maybe more powerful, but there's something very powerful about a dark skinned black person doing self-portraits that ascribe divinity to themselves and it not be like Beyonce, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like a regular person, right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> especially dark skinned, not American, um, like thick, beautiful hair that isn't valued in our white patriarchal society, you know, like features that aren't valued and to like say hail the dark light. Like, it's so powerful. And I love how big the book is too. Like it's, it takes up my whole coffee table. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, I have shared some of their work and it's just unbelievable. Um, And again, imagination, imagination. And I I think it was maybe their work that inspired me to do the photo shoot that I did around Christ, our black mother speaks where I'm wearing the Faye Noel collaboration with Harmonio Rosales. And I'm wearing the dress of uh, black female Christ being crucified on a plantation. And like, um, I did a whole photo shoot around that kind of this like, hey, I can represent that or I can be part of that story, too, um, as a black woman. I belong in that story. And I had never done a, a photo shoot like that that was like so produced, you know, where it's like we're telling a story. I'm re revisiting what Christ would have been like as a black woman on a plantation um, and it's worth sharing this with everyone, you know, it's like, kind of like my own little contribution to the art world, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't think I would have had the audacity to do without some of the examples that I had seen. Yeah. Yeah. Of self-portraits. Yeah. Oh man, you're doing, you're doing great work, yo. I, I love this. Oh, I love this whole you. thing. What, 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 what's <laughs> I'm, honored, I'm honored to be included in the art, the black art world. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yo. Like, yeah, it sounds like you're you're at the forefront on a, a lot of this stuff. You're introducing these concepts, just getting people to think different. I know how I felt when I read your book, so I can imagine like uh, how how other people are feeling when they're looking for the purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah. Knowing something's wrong, and they finally feel like they find the answer. And you put words to it, Joe. So that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I, I heard you yeah. were working on something new. What's 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 coming up after this? Yeah, yeah. So, well, the next next thing that I'm doing is um, starting in this spring, we're going to be doing a virtual Black Madonna pilgrimage. 
Hmm. Um, and so we're going to be re going to visit all of the black. There, there are, I think, eight or nine black Madonnas that I talk about in my book. We're going to go and visit them virtually and have um, a time of practice, a spiritual practice, like sort of an interfaith spiritual practice to help us connect with their essence and really allow each one to be transformed. Um, or or allow each one to transform us in our worlds today. Um, So looking at shame, looking at body, looking at purity, looking at need, you know, and just bringing those things to them. So that's really exciting. Um, And that's next, next. We're also hopefully going to be taking people on Black Madonna pilgrimages when it's safe. Oh, that's been awful. Um, Yeah, I think at this point, as of right now, we're only going to be offering that to Black people because I am not trying to be a tourist. (laughs) <laughs> a tour a tour a tour guide for like you know problematic white people and you know that's who would sign up so um as of right now we're going to be opening it up just to black people but we're hoping to do that as soon as it's safe um and of course i'm writing you know i'm doing more writing but we'll see i'm definitely the kind of person who it's like oh, i'll probably publish another book in like 10 years but it'll be awesome uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's good stuff yo good yeah. stuff yeah yeah, so there's still a lot going on, but you know, the book "God Is a Black Woman" has only been out for one week now, so we're gonna stick. We're gonna stick with this for a little. Yeah, while stick with it for a little getting, while. Yeah. Getting the word out. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. if it, if there's any one message you want to give out to, well, no, I'm gonna ask you two questions, and and then I actually the last question. One, okay. what do you say to the the people that we call them hoteps the the guys that that yeah. are always talking about mm-hmm. um, men this and men that you know and whatever mm-hmm. and whatnot and would never yeah. like consider uh, the value of this kind of sacred black feminine what what do you say to people when they confront yeah. you on in that way yeah you know um, I I had an experience like that really recently with a a black guy who I would put in that category. And I would just, I, I think I had a lot of compassion for him. And I think I, I just, I don't, I can't remember exactly what I said, but something along the lines of, you know, if the concept of God as a black woman is this triggering for you, if it brings up this much, I just hope that you're curious about that. What are you afraid of? Mm. And how can you be with that fear? You know, I think um, the, the the black, the sacred black feminine way is really different than the way that I had been taught. So I think the old me would have gone straight into apologetic mode and tried to convince them. Um, and by convince them, I mean shame them into mm. thinking, into shame them into believing that they're stupid. Like my goal would be to beat them, right? Like, right. And I'm very smart and I have those tools. I have those skills. Exactly. Right. I have those skills. And so, you know, I can, I can throw out the rhetoric needed to, to either show someone that they're stupid or confuse them so much that they start to believe that they're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, I also realized that, you know, if we, if each of us can find our body in her body, her body is infinitely expanding all the time. And, and also her body's infinitely relatable and she can do the work of the relating. We just need to be open. And so my goal now is to just say, hey, like, let's be curious about that. Like, if you're so confident that black men, you know, deserve a certain standing, then why are you threatened by this? What are you afraid of? Let's talk about that. You know, what, what feels unstable in there? And how can femininity actually be an antidote to some of that toxicity in your masculinity, that fear? How can that soothe and be medicine? Um, So that's like, that's the invitation. And and then I just walk away if the person doesn't want to lean in, you know, because it's, I used to spend so much time trying to convince people who just don't want to be convinced. Yeah. Um, and now I'm like, you know what? God is a black woman. She can handle it. It's handled. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I love you know? it, Joe. I love I'm going to say my piece in love. And then it's like, if you don't want to lean in, then that's your loss. You know, because I really think that the message of the sacred black feminine potentially has the, it has the potential to heal black men more than anyone. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I'm there with you, yeah. yo. I, it, it, mm-hmm. I believe uh, I You're say open. it and I don't say it lightly. Yeah. It did help me. Mm-hmm. It helped me in mm-hmm. ways that I didn't think I needed help mm-hmm. or I hadn't even considered yet. You know, like it's, it's the, yeah. the, 
the Pope John, uh, is it Pope John Paul quote? In your yeah, book? God like, is God, mother, God, but God yeah. is father, but more than father is mother. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like it's both. Mm-hmm. It's both. And until you embrace it, you'll, you'll always be wondering what's missing in your life. So that's absolutely always. true. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we're all just a fraction of ourselves until we, I mean, my journey towards the sacred black feminine has actually put me on a journey towards the sacred black masculine. You know, and um, what does that even look like? And what does, um, like, how can I reclaim my connection to healthy Black masculinity, even though that hasn't necessarily been modeled for me very well? Right. Um, but it's out there and it's there for me. And um, Leonardo Boff, who's a, a Latinx liberation theologian who's 80 now, so he's, you know, um, in the twilight of his life, he, he wrote a little poem at Christmas and he said, um, Every man, Every boy wants to be a man. Every man wants to be a king. Every king wants to be God. Only God wanted to be a boy. Mm. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, my gosh, that is sacred masculinity. You know, like, and that's the kind of God that I want to connect to. That's not the kind of God that was that I was introduced to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if there's a masculine form of God, that's the kind of God that I want to connect to. The God who wants to be a boy. Um, and doesn't isn't trying to grab for more power and to dominate. And um, and so I think the more we connect with our own sacredness in our whatever gender identity we have, the more we can connect with the sacredness and other gender identities, which then just heals our whole self. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, Christina, Dr. Mm-hmm. Christina Cleveland, tell them where they can find you. <laughs> uh, ChristinaCleveland.com. My book is the name is easy to remember. God is a black woman and it's literally everywhere. Um, so it's, in, it's in, uh, every black, most black independent bookstores have gotten it. So, you know, start there, please. Um, but if not, you can always do the easy tried and true channels as well. Um, and it's probably at your library too. So That's you don't have to buy it. I love it, yeah. Joe. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, <laughs> Joe. Mm, thank you. It's so good to be back. Thanks for letting me be an honorary member of the black art community. Oh, no, you, you all the way there. You all the way there. <laughs> yeah, you all the way there. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the Bag. Big shout out. Big love. But Dr. Christina Cleveland coming on a podcast. Blessing us. Oh, I love it. I love it. Next week, we doubling it up. Hit you with another scholar, writer, curator, Mr. T.K. Smith on the podcast. To all my artists out there, there are not many rewards that you get from a lifetime of this. Just stay committed. Stay ready. Keep making that noise. People is listening, even when you don't think they are. It's your boy, Jay Barber. I'm going to holler at y'all next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.